everyone. Welcome back to an all new episode of the 20% podcast, the podcast that brings you tips and tricks from industry professionals across all industries that you could implement in your current job today. I'm your host, Tyler Meckis. This week's guest is my good friend and one of the major reasons I actually have a job at Dooley, Daniel Ryan. Daniel is now an AE at Dooley, where he helps sellers on a daily basis to be more efficient while also reducing the time that those reps hear their managers asking for deal or pipeline updates. I met Daniel on LinkedIn through a coffee chat that turned quickly into a meeting with Dooley's BDR manager, Saad, and eventually getting me in front of my current boss and Dooley's VP of Revenue, Michelle Peach. We went back in time today with Daniel, and as you'll soon hear, he is not only a world traveler, but he's also been public speaking to large crowds since he was a young child. In this episode, we discuss the importance of incremental learning, taking care of your people, Daniel's school of business, his promotion from SDR to AE, bias for action 101 class, and much more. Please enjoy this week's episode with Daniel Ryan. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tyler. Excited to talk about the 20%. Yes. And, and first and foremost, I really just want to thank you for helping me get this job at Dooley. Now, uh, I don't know how many people actually know the main story behind it, but uh, a couple months ago, um, obviously, I can't say enough praise about the Dooley marketing team and just really how, how much awareness they have. And, and everybody's impression of the brand is, is really great. And that's how mine was a couple months ago. Um, and then I saw Daniel on LinkedIn posting about coffee chats and how much he loved them. So I said, hey, I love coffee chats too. Let's have a conversation. And then ultimately, a couple of weeks later, as we started to look into, or I started my job search, essentially, Daniel was there and I said, hey, let's just talk about Dooley. Can, I, can we just chat? And uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I actually called you while I was at the grocery store when we had that conversation, Daniel. Um, but, you know, he met Daniel. He said, Hey, apply. I said, I'm going to send a video to, to you. If you could send it to your boss, that would be great. Um, and then ultimately that's Michelle, who's now our boss. And then, uh, over time just, uh, you know, went through the, the interview process and, uh, and here we sit now a, a month, almost a month in, which is absolutely crazy. So first and foremost, Daniel, just wanted to say, thank you so much, man. You're welcome. Um, feel free to name your soon to be born child after me. I, that's more than enough. Um, <laughs> But has it actually been a month? Three weeks now. Yeah, as as we're recording, um, March seventh, we're recording. So I don't know when I'm gonna um, gonna drop this couple weeks. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's been a wild ride, man. But now I want to hear all about your wild ride and, and who Daniel Ryan actually is. And and you know, one of the first conversations that we had while I was at Dooligan, you um, you opened up about your experience of being a world traveler, essentially. So could you just set the stage of you know, grew up in Australia. Just what was childhood like before you started this jet setting uh, lifestyle, essentially? Yeah, um, for sure. So essentially, yeah, I'm born and bred in Australia. I lived there until I was six in North Queensland. Um, and then my dad got a job in the UK and we, that's when the jet setting started. I was seven when we moved to the, to, to England for two years and I went to school there. I got myself a little British accent. It was great. Um, and then he was getting trained up to then come back and start up a, like a ministry base in Australia. Um, I think it was like a franchise, I guess, <laughs> like headquarters was in the UK, um, came back, um, and then we relocated to like Sydney area. Um, I lived there until I hit like 19. And then I moved over to Canada and I've been in Canada ever since. Um, done lots of traveling outside of that. But as far as like moving to a different place, um, it's been it's been those three. 
but uh yeah that's sort of when it started was <laughs> when i was a wee little lad and had no choice in the matter yeah, absolutely. So just, just moving back and forth. I mean, what was any major lessons or any stories from living in different spaces as a child? Like, was there, were, were there any like big moments in your life? I, I know that in, in previous conversations, you mentioned that your dad was constantly on stage just in, in the industry that he was with ministry. Um, what was that experience like for you? And, and I believe that you had some experiences with actually going up and talking in front of people as well. What, what did that look like? Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, he was, I mean, my, my old man was a pastor before he got into like the, this, um, other type of ministry. Um, and now he like speaks to pastors. And so having a room, you know, of a hundred to 500 people, um, and getting up in front of them is, is sort of what he does every weekend. Um, and there's a couple events that he did about like parenting and things like that. And so me as his child, he'd pull me up on stage too. So, um, it's definitely, I mean, one of the questions that people ask me like internally at Dooley, for instance, like I'm doing a, I'm doing like a webinar next week and the people doing like, who are running it and ask me the questions like, are you okay? Are you worried? And it's kind of, it's like when you get pulled onto a stage, 500 people, when you're 15, getting pulled into a one-on-one meeting where you can't see anybody and you're just answering questions. It's like, there's it just, it doesn't, it doesn't phase me. Um, so as far as like, how has it affected me? I think it's been great. I mean, I know that, um, I'm pretty sure, I mean, I don't know where the stat is, but it's like the, the biggest fear, like even above fear of death is fear of public speaking. So having been around public speaking and being brought into public speaking and, you know, getting up on stage and, you know, talking about whatever, um, from, geez, I think the first time I was up on stage would have been like eight or nine. So talking in front of people is really not, it's just not, it's just something that I can do, which I'm super grateful for. Cause I know other people who like, you know, sweat for days and freak out. And I'm very grateful that that's not what I have to deal with. Yeah. And it's, and it's amazing. All of these experiences as a young kid, you probably realized, or you probably didn't think at the time that that was actually going to help you. Uh, are you why, like, how would you have that kind of experience? But it it's really interesting that, that actually came back and was something that was very important to you. And to your point, there's a lot of people that are afraid of public speaking. For those who didn't have that experience of being able to get pulled up on stage, even it didn't really seem like it was a choice of yours, but for somebody who wants to actively get into public speaking or has that fear of public speaking, what kind of advice would you have for them to just get out there and and do it? That's a really good question. Um, I should add, I I definitely had a choice. My, (laughs) it wasn't just Daniel, you're getting up here. Um, you know, coach through it, taught how to do it. And then, you know, would you like to come up? Um, he's a good dad. Um, as far as advice for if people are, I guess there's two different, if people are scared of it, what advice would I have? And then versus people who want to get into it, um, for wanting to get into it, I'd say, just do it. I don't know about other people for me. Most of the fear is like in my head, of and that's just not just even in regards to public speaking but like anything and then once you get going and once you start doing it all of a sudden that just like it disappears there's a great quote actually from um it's from a one of jk rowling like the author of harry potter she has a quote from the fantastic beasts book slash movie that is um, worrying only means you suffer twice And so I love that quote. And so for me, it's like, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to do it. Like the worst that can happen is I look like an idiot and, you know, people will forget or they won't. And it's a great talking point. 
Um, and, you know, time usually solves most of those things, at least for me. Um, but then, so that would be, I guess, my advice as far as if you want to get into it and you're not sure how, like, just do it. Whether that's going and doing stand-up comedy, like you can literally just put your name in and go do it. Or if, you know, say to your, your leader, be like, hey, at the next team meeting, I'd like to be the one to present or, you know, anything along those lines. Um, go reach out to podcast hosts, be like, I'd like to talk, um, you know, would love to share something that I, I'm good at. That's how I'd recommend is just diving into it. You will stuff up, you will mumble, you'll stutter, you'll say like, uh, and look at the ceiling a lot and you'll learn from it and you'll get better. Um, and then for people who are scared of it, I, geez, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. <laughs> um, but as far as, I mean, I, yeah, I'm just a big sort of believer in like, let's get out there and doing it. Yeah. Like let's say the worst case scenario happens, right? You get up on stage and whatever the worst possible thing that could ever happen happens. Like I like to play that out in my head and be like, okay, like what would be the consequences or result of that? And more often than not, when you play it out, it's actually what you think is a 10. It's actually like a three as far as like irreparable damage. Um, and there's a, like, there's a, I mean, anyone who listens to podcasts and is in tech has probably heard of Tim Ferriss. He has an actual exercise on it called like fear setting. Um, and when I was reading his blog post on it, I was like, huh, I've been doing that in my head. I've never done it on paper, but you literally be like, you know, if, if I get up on stage and I fall over while walking up on stage and fall flat on my face and break my nose, like, you know, and then I'm bleeding everywhere. And like, if that's like the worst possible thing that could happen to you, like what's the result of that? Well, you have a broken nose that you have to heal and that might cost you a couple grand at the doctor's office and a couple of weeks with, you know, whatever. Um, and in 15 years time, it's going to be a phenomenal story to tell your grandkids. And like, what else? Like it will be a talking point. It will be, you know, people will remember it in the future. Like, but other than that, like what's like, what happens um and so if you like once you actually sort of really think through it and get really specific instead of just like i'm scared i'll look like an idiot if that's the fear like well how will you look like and you break it down and once you've done that it's more often than not like oh actually like the worst case scenario isn't that big of a deal like i'm not gonna starve to death i'm not gonna lose all my friends and family um it's actually not as bad as what it could be so that's how i would recommend doing it yeah and it's it sounds like a lot of it is just trying to, you know, get out of your own comfort zone, essentially. A lot of people aren't really comfortable with it, but they need to, you know, the growth happens when you're out of your comfort zone. Any interesting stories, whether it was, you know, young or even at, to this point, what was the, the maybe the, the biggest memory around getting out of your comfort zone and how you, how you handled overcoming that situation? Yeah, so that's, again, something that my parents were really good at when I was growing up um to give you an example like when i was maybe eight or nine my dad would be like hey daniel like i'm going to teach you how to change the oil in a car i'm like i'm nine i don't know how to change the oil in a car um so at first he would like just have me with him and he would do it and he would ask me for tools and he, you know, he would teach me the tools and tell me which one to do and then you know in three or four months time when it's time to do it again this time i would be the one turning the spanner or the socket or whatever tool I was using mm -hmm. and he'd be handing them to me. And then the third time, you know, and then eventually it would be, 
um, you know, by the, by the end of it was like, Hey Daniel, can you go change the, the car for me? All the stuff's in the trunk, go for it. And then, you know, he's like, I trust you. I'm not even going to watch. And then I'm out there doing it by myself. And so that like progressive pushing, there's a big difference between you as, you know, an adult who's never gone skydiving before buying a parachute and jumping off of a, out of a plane versus going and doing a tandem with a professional skydiver and taking the ground lessons. And, you know, eventually you'll get to that point of jumping out of the plane and pulling the chute. But if you can like push yourself really incrementally, it's substantially, it, it, by the time it gets there, you already are like, yeah, I can do this. Um, even though you've never actually jumped out of a plane before or never actually changed the oil of a car before or never gotten up and spoken to people before. Um, if, you know, you've, if you've been able to do those steps and have someone who's gone before you and done it, been able to like sort of, you know, lay the path, it's substantially easier. So wow. I love that. Now, also, it just sounds like, you know, you're, you're progressing over time and you're, you're developing a process, a, an organized process in order to, um, to achieve that, which I'm really excited to jump into later on when we start talking about your sales career and really tying some of that uh, experience early on with that progress, but um, continuing to progress through your, your lifespan. Um, so you moved back to Australia and your dad started building out this ministry. What was some of the biggest business lessons that he may have taught you um, or, or just lessons that you are starting to use in business now as a result of just watching him do what he did? That's a really good question. I think because it's very different as being a charity. Um, like I think it's like six, like two thirds of the business is based on like donations. So it's not really a, as far as like business wise, but the, some of the things I really learned from my old man was how he treated people. Um, and for him, like leadership was definitely like a reverse pyramid. Like he wasn't sitting at the top on top of everyone. He was at the bottom and everyone was above him. So like, I remember distinctly, there was like a few times where like, well, because they predominantly ran on donations, like money was tight and the people at the bottom of the totem pole or of the pyramid got paid first and then the managers and then the directors. And I think I, I distinctly remember mom and dad, like being like, they were always very honest with us and upfront. And it's like, Hey, mom and dad, can we go to McDonald's for dinner this weekend? It's like, so we had like, we can't afford that because, um, like I haven't been paid in five months because it's like, it's been rough. Um, and so like, it's a no. And so seeing that real like servant leadership and being like my employees first, me second has really, I mean, it set the bar really freaking high for me coming into the, any workplace. Cause like, that's what I'm used to seeing from a leader. So like, if I have, if I see a leader who is selfish or whatever, like it really turns like, it's, I don't know, it's a, it's a sour taste in my mouth immediately. Um, so I would say that's the biggest lesson of like how you treat your people is super important and um, making sure that they get taken care of first and foremost. That's phenomenal. And it's really interesting to hear all of those stories and how you pull that out, because I'm really excited for your, uh, like you're bound to be a leader at some point or another. So uh, really excited to, um, to hear your mentality and your thought process on leadership, because there's a lot of people, uh, fortunately not at Dooley, but at other companies that do that, that leaders aren't like that. They are that, Hey, I'm the best person. And I'm, I'm, I'm the top of the pyramid, but happy employee, happy employees make for happy customers and happy. And then when you have happy customers, you're going to, that's going to help you from a leader perspective. So I, I just, it, it's really hard to, for me to fathom that people 
don't see it that way as well. You know, so it, it's really interesting that you, you see it there as well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, sometimes I, yeah, I, I don't understand how, how other people don't see it, but yeah, I just have to, I don't know. That, that's how I see it. I'm glad. I mean, obviously, you know, it, it, it's good to end up at a company where that is like the model. Um, and so it's, it's definitely, definitely something that I like that that's like the top of my list. Um, even before like pay or the product or anything like that, I'm like, who am I working for and how do they treat their people? Cause that's like my number one. Yeah, that's fantastic, man. So I love it. Thank you so much for that. Now let's, let's continue to move through the timeline now. So you know, tell me a little bit more about the, the late teen and, and early twenties years. What, what did college look like? What did, uh, what were you doing from your first job perspective? Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So mine's going to be a little different to most of your people, I think. So I met my wife when I was still in high school. Um, she's from Canada. I'm from the, from Australia. She actually came over and did like the youth year-long program that was at the ministry my dad was running and so I met her through that um, because over here y'all school year finishes in like the summer right of June but in Australia summer is Christmas so our school year is like January till November so I was still in my final year of school when she had already graduated and moved out um, and we met yeah then um, we were engaged and married within like two years. I had moved. So like I moved to Canada within a year of finishing high school. I moved to where she had lived. Her visa was up. She came back to Canada. I was always going to come to Canada because I love snowboarding and I love hockey. And that's kind of, if you love those two things, you like, where else do you go? Um, <laughs> so I went, I moved to Canada um, and to pursue her as well. And like a relationship and see where that would go. Um, we were married within a year of me being in Canada. Um, and the funny part of it is I wasn't, my visa was a work visa. So I wasn't allowed to go to school like legally. And so originally it was going to be, I work and she goes to school and then we were going to switch. And then I was going to go to school and she was going to work. It was going to be great. Um, and then we had our first baby. <laughs> and so I was like, well, you like, and that was literally, it was like, um, she graduated, it was going to be the summer and then we were going to go and, um, she graduated and then we got pregnant pretty quickly. So I was like, okay, I guess that's not going to happen. Um, and so I dove into, and you're going to love this. Uh, we, I called it Daniel's school of business. Um, and so essentially it was like three prongs. It was, um, work experience um after you know i was super interested in business and all that so like i was like following like gary v and following tim ferris and following like warren buffett and tony robbins and all these like personal help gurus and you know people that are thought leaders in in the sort of space um and there's a really common theme of everyone that was like just do it like whether it was Seth Godin or Gary Vee, who are like two completely opposite personalities, everyone's advice was kind of like, you learn the most by just diving in and doing it. Um, you know, don't like, and especially when it comes to business, I really liked business and like that sort of thing. So I was going to go to school, like hopefully go get like an MBA or something. Um, but a lot of the feedback and a lot of, you know, this advice that I was seeing out in the interwebs was like just dive in like you'll learn more starting a business than you ever will going to school for it so i was like all right guess i'll i'll do that so that so 
um, my first and foremost was in work experience of like going out and doing it. So I literally set aside four years where I concentrated on how can I get the most amount of experience while getting paid for it? Um, you know, I had a wife, had a child, had school, school bills from when she was, you know, in, in school. So I spent a ton of time, um, working. So like my 40 hours a week of, um, and I jumped around from like customer success. Uh, I did sales. I did quality control. I did, I worked across tons of different industries. I worked in management. I worked, um, yeah, all up and down, whether it was bartending and waiting tables to building solar farms and anything in between. Um, and if there was ever an opportunity, um, I put my hand up. So, um, I joined like safety committees and I joined, you know, like all like whatever I could, if, if, if I could do something and learn from it, I did it, um, marketing stuff too. So, um, I did that for four years and tried to like grow my skills that way while getting paid for it. I then took all the money that I would have spent on college and I invested it into myself. So going on webinars, going, um, you know, buying books, buying resources, going to seminars, all that sort of stuff. I forked out, I think total, I probably forked out between 16 and $20,000 over that time. Um, I did boot camp stuff like that. Um, and then the third one was starting a business. So I started a window cleaning business. I, I I'm pretty sure you're going to ask about that uh, later on. Um, and so that was sort of how I pieced it all together. Um, and I ran that for these five years. I stopped at the start of 2020 when COVID happened. And when I wanted to, when I decided to concentrate on tech sales was when I put that project on hold. Well, I didn't put on hold. I sold it to um, my then like managed, like my then project manager of the window cleaning business. So it's now hers and I am in full-time sales. So that's sort of my origin stories of work was Daniel school of business. So wow. ask I'm, away. I know there's, I, I can see your eyes. There's so many questions. Oh, man, there's just, there is so many different questions to ask you here, man. But like, so no college, but you did your own, you did, you did get the Tim Ferriss, uh, MBA oh, is exactly 100%. what you did. And for people who don't know that Tim is pretty much like, don't buy, don't get an MBA. He's, he invested the $200,000 that he would have spent on an MBA in different stocks and different options. And it sounds like Daniel did his own little, uh, rendition of that as well. He now, was now, the inspiration behind it. I just didn't want to feel like this whole podcast. I was talking about Tim Ferriss. <laughs> No, it, that's exactly what it sounded like. I, I'm a Tim Ferriss fan too. And he's actually one of the reasons why I'm a podcaster. He was one of the first podcasts that I listened to and, and really admire the work that he does. So uh, if you're if you're listening to this, Tim, shout out to you. <laughs> okay, Tim Ferriss isn't listening to this. But uh, anyway, one day. So, so yeah, so what I gathered from that is number one, you are an absolute go-getter. Right. And that, that's another skill that's going to, that is no reason uh, why, or, or no surprise why you're doing so well in SaaS right now. But Ultimately, you know, similar to yourself, I have a ton of different experience as well. And it, it proved me really well just to know a, a, di a diverse group of people and just a business acumen standpoint. But why do you think it's so important to be so well-rounded in your experience? Um, well, I think it, for starters, I shouldn't say it's important, how it's helped me. Like I know some people who like, they want to be specialists and write, like they finish school and they go do, I don't know, some sort of advanced engineering and then they get into it and then they just niche down and they just keep going. And that's great. For me, I was always more of, first of all, I wanted it to interest me. Um, I find I'm one of my 
don't know, without trying to sound conceited, one of my like superpowers is I can learn stuff pretty quickly. Like, but, but I would say, I would say that the caveat is I'm good at learning like the 80%. And you know how it's like getting from zero to 80% might take you six months and then getting from 80 to 90 might take you five years. And then getting from 90 to hundred might take you a lifetime. Like they're the true masters. Like I can get from that zero to 80 or zero to 90 within like a year. Um, and then I get bored if I'm being completely candid. <laughs> um, and so, um, I like one of the reasons why I wanted to like get my hand in so many pots. So I was, I was just able to learn and grow and, you know, do that essentially. Um, and I completely got sidetracked. What was your original question? <laughs> so, so the main question, no, and, and what it sounds like is, is your focus more on being a generalist than an, than an expert essentially. Right. But my question was, why is it so important to be so well-rounded, but it, you, but not even getting sidetracked. I mean, you, you said all valid things, right? It's so important for a variety of different reasons, but the, the biggest driver of it though, it sounds like just your, your curiosity and willingness to learn. How has curiosity helped you in your sales career? Yeah. Well, I, I, and to answer like, yes, I would say like, I, I'm like, I like being a, more of a general journalist with the exception of I, like, I've fallen in love with sales and I really have like doubled down on sales currently. Um, how has it for helped the next me? 10 months? Right. Cause you said a, a year you get bored. So we'll, we'll have to just soak I, the I've best. I've been in sales for two years now too. Uh, well, actually that's not true because I've been in SaaS for two years. I've been in sales for five. So I have been here for longer than any other spot I've gone to. And the, um, the other question is why, why sales though? Because there's a lot of people that, um, like myself, I didn't know the whole reason I have this podcast is because I didn't know of all the different careers that I could have done. Right. And I want to help try to share, um, why sales is so great. Like, why, why have you, why has sales been the thing that has kept you, your attention so long versus all the other things that fell by the wayside at one point or another? Yeah. Well, a multitude of reasons, I guess that's sort of why I did that Daniel school of business where I jumped around is because I wanted to experience as much as I could to figure out what I liked. Cause, um, I had friends who dove into college and they did four years of a degree. And then they were like, I effing hate this. And then they didn't do it. And then they went to school for something else. And they, incurred all this debt. And I was like, I want to see if I can do it a better way. What if I work at a low level of these and to see if this is even of interest to me and um, what ended up being of in, like the most interest to me was sales. And that's a combination of, I like people. Um, I'm very extroverted. And so that I feel like, I mean, ironically enough, I think introverts actually perform better at sales is what the, is what the data tells us, but um, being able to meet with new people and, you know, showing like it, it's not a fake interest when I'm like, Hey, so like, how are you doing today? Like I actually do care and like want to know, you know, how someone's doing. Um, so that portion of it. And, um, as far as, I mean, I'll say it, the money, I mean, right. <laughs> being able to, I, I really liked coming from that, like having that experience of the window cleaning business of like, I got paid based on my performance. I liked that. Like I like, and, and I I'd had previous jobs in that sort of four year stint where I worked three times harder than the guy next to me or the gal next to me. And I knew that every Thursday on payday, we got the same amount of money, even though I was providing weight, like I was just doing more. Um, and that really irked me. Like that really bothered me. <laughs> um, which like, what, like if that's a fault of mine, I'll take it, I'll wear it. Um, and so I was like, I can either, complain or be grumpy and go sour or i can just find a job where i get paid based on my performance and if i want to make more money i have to 
do more, work more, whatever the case may be is. Um, and so sales kind of fit the bill um, as far as all the different things that I was hoping to do. Um, and I like helping people. Um, and so um, that's that's one of the reasons why I came to Dooley is now I get to sell and help people that is my ICP. Like I am a salesperson, I'm selling to like my people. So I really enjoy actually being it's not just like i'm not just using empathy it's like it's actually sympathy like it's like i i feel this pain with you so that would yeah as far as um i hope that answers your question that's no, sort of- a million percent man and i think that what you know you're you're passionate about what you're doing and when you're passionate about something um i mean in, in your th- you're you're passionate and you're enthusiastic i know john barrow says that um sales is simply just the, the transfer of enthusiasm. So if you're passionate and enthusiastic about solving a problem or, or helping somebody do a certain thing, then that's going to resonate. And also the other thing too, in sales is that's really important is, is being genuine. And I know, I know you as a person, I know that you're genuine as can be, and that's, that's what you exude in your personal brand on LinkedIn and everything you're doing, but people could see through that if you're not genuine, right? Yeah. People have, Yeah. Like, I feel like maybe five years ago on the internet, you could, you could get away with it. But like nowadays people have such a radar for it. And if, you know, if their BS meter starts going off, you're screwed. So yeah, I, I, I do my best to just be me. I try to like, uh, one of the biggest compliments someone gave me once was like the first time I ever met them over, like on zoom. Um, but we've been connected on LinkedIn for a while is they're like, you talk exactly like how you write, like. I like, this is what I thought you would be like. And I was like, sweet, like success. (laughs) Like that's exactly what I'm going for. So um, yeah, that's sort of, that's definitely, yeah, I agree. It's like the transfer of enthusiasm. Jay Barrows has it right. Yeah. And shout out to John Barrows and the team. Uh, They are just recently a new Dually partner. So we're super, super happy to to talk with them. If you haven't checked out uh, JB sales, uh, it's, it's literally just an entire group of fantastic human beings who are on the same mission um, or similar missions with Dooley is to simply help our customers and, and make the sales profession better while making things more efficient um, in the process as well. So um, super passionate and super excited about that partnership as well. All right. Now let's talk about some of the other, I know you briefly went over it. You had, you obviously had some, you know, quality control, quality assurance jobs. Uh, you were a server for a little while, motorsport sales. Let's let's dive into a little bit more about the the restaurant gig because funny enough, there's a, including John Barrows, right? There are so many sales professionals who started their career in being a, in a restaurant for a number of reasons. But what is the biggest lesson about being a in in the restaurant that led you to be a successful sales professional you are today? Yeah, there's so many. Um, like being able to juggle multiple things on the go um the like being able to communicate and with like essentially whoever just shows up you know like when i join a zoom meeting now i literally join and then i see them and like i have to connect with them and that's all you get same deal within the restaurant industry like you might have like the the hostess seats people at your table and you have to walk up and be like hey and become become their friend and you know help them guide them through their choices you know um, same deal as like if with an inbound lead, they show up and it's like, Hey, like, what, like what brought us in today, folks? Someone walks in, Hey, like, why are we eating out tonight, folks? Like it, there's so many similarities and parallels. And, um, I think that's probably why so many people do it. Um, and as far as like what skills, I mean, yeah, it's like 
problem solving, time management is huge. Um, being um, like customer facing is, um, it's like really good experience for that. Um, yeah, I mean, the list goes on really. And I love too, like the upselling and cross-selling, like upselling, like there's, there's different things that you learn over time of like, if somebody has an alcoholic beverage, then your, your tip is going to go up a significant amount because they're probably going to buy an, an appetizer of like, but it's really, it's not even trying to be shady. It's just a matter of knowing what you need to do in order to serve the needs of your patron, but also keeping your interest in mind as well. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely, it's funny. I, 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 I had this conversation a couple of times. I often think like, man, if I was to go back and be a waiter now with like the psychology skills and the sales skills and the like serving other skills that I've picked up in the last like five, six years, I feel like I could like make so much more money <laughs> and just have happier customers too, because, you know, be able to like put those skills into practice. And the same with like my previous sales jobs. I'm like, oh man, I could have done so much better at those, but it's, it's learning steps. And but, but you know what though, that that's the really interesting thing though, Daniel is because like, I think the same thing as well. I, I did say so, I had some jobs at, you know, Lowe's when I was younger or, or just different things over time that it's like, wow, if I went back in that role right now, I would be crushing it for a number of reasons. Um, but really it's just what it comes down to is the reason you have, the reason you're saying that is because you acquired skills in your current job that you could have worked backwards. But this same concept, this is what I'm really passionate about. Those same skills, you could be you could be gaining the skills for your future success to help you su succeed in your next job right now. Even if you hate your job, even if you're no matter what job you're doing, there's something that could be learned and something that could be transferred to an to a, a job later on. So for those of you who may not be in a job that you necessarily like, or uh, if you're thinking, hey, what what am I doing right now that's actually going to help me in the future? I guarantee you, years from now you're going to look back and say, wow, I actually learned a lot in that specific role. Um, and it might be, it might be a good lesson to just reflect and learn all of the different things that you've learned over time, or at least write it out because you're going to see some trends and you're going to see some, um, some interesting things that you picked up over time that you're using right now. Yeah. And also you might not just be learning, like learning a new skill. It might be tough things like learning how to deal with a bad boss or learning how to deal with like no process or learning how to like circumnavigate difficult conversations. Um, and so all of those skills are super, have like super come in handy later, like later on, even though at the time I was like, this is miserable. I hate my job, but I'm a big, um, like I mentioned earlier, like I'm, I'm a big believer in like, how am I getting better from this? And what am I learning from this and trying to spin it into a positive? Um, not necessarily like if it is literally like I've, I, I've had sales jobs where I was there for six months and left um, because it was just not really like, it wasn't what I thought it was. It wasn't what it was supposed to be. It just wasn't going to work out. Um, and I was able to still learn stuff there. It doesn't mean stick around in a miserable situation. Just, just so you can learn something like, right. By no means advocating for that. But um I can't say that any, you know, job that I had for a short amount of time or anything like that, I didn't learn a ton from whether that was, um, you know, like for instance, I, I, I have list of like 20 questions I would ask any future employer because of situations that I've had to deal with by not asking those questions. 
prior. Interesting. So it's definitely like there's lots of both like positive and negative learnings, but it always came like as long as you don't, you know, as long as you don't make the same mistake twice, then I think it's it's positive. But I mean, that's, that's a testament to exactly what I'm talking about though, Daniel, right? Like you were through all of those experiences and you know, it, like to your point, just your entire career, you had to do all of those different things to find out what you love. And you finally stumbled across sales as being that thing that you love, but you may have not gotten there specifically if you didn't actually try these things over time, right? And obviously throughout the course of your career, there's a lot of different things that you were learning from being on stage. Well, guess what? That's helping you to present to, you know, to, to see level people. You're not afraid to get in front of people, right? The, the different jobs of being in the restaurant or, you know, doing your MBA, you're the Daniel MBA, right? Like there's so many different things that you've done that make you who the person you are today. So just embrace that. Whoever you are, embrace your story. Um, I know Daniel embraces his, um, and I'm happy that he's, he's sharing it here as well. Now let's dive a little bit further, Daniel. So you, you had an AE role at modern beauty supplies, and then you went back to being a BDR and you came to Dooley and you went from being an SDR to an AE. Let's talk about the transition from a, from SDR to AE. So we'll just focus specifically, you know, you landed Dooley, you're in this SDR role. What does it take a, a big focus for people right now in an SDR role is how do I get to the AE? If Daniel was writing a book on how to go from SDR to AE, what would some of the main titles be? Ooh, that's, that's a good question. Uh, first and foremost, like just, I mean, I don't know. You have to be a top performer. Um, if like you can't, at least I should say, this is, this is one dude's opinion. <laughs> I, I believe that like, you can't say that, hey, hey boss, I want a promotion. Put me in as an in AE if there's five people on the team that are ahead of you. Um, I mean, you're more than welcome to ask, but they're going to say, you know, they're going to avoid, they're going to dodge the question most likely unless all four of the, or five of those people actively don't, don't want to be promoted and they want to stay in the business development world. Then sure, you can maybe get, maybe put your hand up and get promoted. But if, if, if you really want to be an AE, highly, highly recommend doubling down on the BDR stuff, on the SDR stuff and learn that through and through. Um, I'm so grateful that I, and it was not by any choosing of my own. I was held back. <laughs> I wanted to be an AE. Like, like you mentioned, I was an AE at Modern Beauty, which was like territory sales. I was out on the road. I was doing biz dev. I was closing. I was then like CSM afterwards, account manager. I was doing all of it. Um, and so I was like, I've got closing experience. I can do this. Let's uh, come to tech and I can be an AE. Um, and I wasn't able to get any jobs. Um, I, 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 I couldn't get hired as an AE. So I then went to SDR, was able to get hired as an SDR um, and quickly learned that I, my prospecting wasn't up to scratch. Um, and so I, I dove in and I doubled down and I feel like I'm at a place where I'm like a pretty good prospector. Um, I've had a few people tell me that they think I'm a good prospector too. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, I'll, 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 I'll run with that. Um, and essentially, um, now that I'm an AE, this is one thing that I like, it was, it was, it, it happened by happenstance, but looking back, I'm super thrilled that it happened. I have to essentially prospect almost just as much as I did as a BDR but I have a fraction of the time to do it. So if you 
skip that step. You know, if you stop going to the gym for six months and then start trying to run a marathon while lifting 200 pounds over your head, like you're going to crumble. And so, you know, being able to, now I'm learning new skills and I'm learning how to run a sales cycle and I'm learning how to close and I'm learning how to do all these things. Getting the meeting used to be what you like get clapped for. Getting the meeting is like table stakes now. It's like, now it's what happens after the meeting. So, you know, I went from seven days, sorry, seven hours prospecting a week. And now I get about maybe two hours a day prospecting. So I'm having to, um, you know, do the same output as far as, you know, filling my pipeline as much as, as an SDI, you want to believe like you keep the calendars busy of all the AEs. It's just not true. Like I get, you know, I have some amazing SDRs on my team, but they're not giving me three meetings a day. Right. Like, and, and plus there's, there's, there's four other AEs. So, you know, when you, when, when you split that up, like marketing and, and the business development team, they can't unless you're no matter how good they are, no matter how good they are, right? They can't give me a full calendar. Um, and so I have to, I have to do, I have to dive in and do prospecting um, or they get a meeting with like a sales manager. And now I have to go prospect into the VP or into, you know, whoever, and like in, in an org and sort of go wide or go deep or go up or go down or wherever you have to go in an organization, right. having, you know, not having to learn how to write a good email. <laughs> like I can just do it. I don't have to think about it anymore because I've been doing it for that's what was my whole job for 18 months. Um, so that has been super helpful and that would like, I would have a big chapter on like, don't rush the process. Um, and that's coming from someone who I've lived is like, I, I consider myself pretty good at learning new things and getting up to speed quickly. And I get bored and want to jump ship. I'm so thankful that I wasn't able to get hired as an AE six months in, because I feel like I would be a very mediocre AE, um, because of that, like stunting my growth, so to speak. Um, cause there's so much other things that you need to learn, um, that have like having the time to concentrate on really kind of honing that skill would be, would be tough. So I guess that would be one of my chapters would be on that, <laughs> um, would be on, yeah, like, um, that. And then as far as what else would I love to, would it be on, uh, networking internally? That was some advice I got. That was huge. Um, was you want it so that when the conversation comes up, because it's always a conversation, it's not like one person in the organization says you're getting promoted. It's, hey team, this is what we're doing. And it's a conversation. So you want when when the VP of revenue talks to the VP of CS and the VP of marketing and the CEO that, and they say, hey, so-and-so is doing really well as a BDR, thinking of giving them the AE role. You want all of them to go, oh, absolutely, no brainer. Um, cause even though that like, they might not necessarily have, have a say, um, that was some advice I got off of Scott Lease and Amy Volas, um, was to network internally and, you know, as long as, you know, make sure you're, you're, you're doing your job, doing the damn work as they put it. Um, you know, if you have, if you have a quota of 10 and, you know, once you're booking 12 meetings consistently, amazing, you're over quota, then with your spare time, you know, you've obviously systemized it, you've got it under wraps now be like, Hey, CS, like, how can I help, um, you know, help them run some like onboarding calls, you, you know, it'll help you get more into the product. It will get you on, you know, you're now helping other teams. Um, I, I did a lot of work. I know like Sam, the other, uh, she's a BDR, Julie, she did a lot of work with CS. I work with marketing a lot, helping them with copy, 
Um, cause you know, um, like our, our demand gen guys, like Daniel, like when I write these emails or write these ads, he's like, I'm a marketer now. He's like, I've been in marketing for five years. I haven't been to VDR for ages. He's like, I'm saying percentages and this and that. And I know it's marketing jargon. Like, can you help me get punchier? So like me and him sat down and like, you know, did this whole session on like, let's talk about pain and let's like go into that. Cause that's, what's going to pique their interest instead of like 27% increase in productivity. Like let's talk about yeah, like, Hey, cares. how much does this suck right now? Like, are you interested in a conversation? Um, and so those are sort of the two things. Like if, if you want to be promoted um, as an AE or just in, in general, go wide in your own org, build relationships internally and make sure you're doing really well at your job. Um, and if you do those two things, um, it shouldn't take long. I got promoted. It was my sixth month at Dooley. So I, I was, I was a BDR for five months and then in month six, I got promoted. Um, yeah. And it's, it's no secret how you did it, man. You're, you're very, uh, back to that process oriented. I, I just keep hearing your dad helping you change that oil and you having to do that in steps and taking over time. And it sounds like that's exactly what had to happen from you going from an SDR to an AE as well. You, you took it over time. You got really good at your skills. And then over time you were booking those meetings by yourself as an AE. So I know, uh, trying to pull that stuff together. Now I know we're, we're rolling up right on time so fast that we're going to have to do a round two as well around love to talk more about your, your personal branding and a lot of the hobbies of, you know, owning some real estate as a sales rep and the importance of, of snowboarding and in, in, uh, in boating as well as some of that stuff outside of work. But I do have two rapid fire questions that I like to ask every, every guest on the show. Um, first and foremost, you're married with two daughters. What's your best piece of parenting advice? Oh, parenting advice. Um, <sighs> they listen to everything. And that is both amazing and also terrifying. Um, I've learned um, that make sure you, uh, like uh, I and my wife have had to be really careful with like what we say around our kids um, because I've learned that they, they literally listen and pick up on absolutely everything. Um, and, you know, <laughs> for some reason, when you tell them you should say please and thank you, they won't listen to that. But then if you, if you're saying please and thank you, they'll, they'll, they'll copy. I found that a lot is that my kids will mimic me, but they won't necessarily listen to the instructions I give them. So like, <laughs> if I want them to say please and thank you. I have to say please and thank you. If I tell them to say please and thank you. And then they hear me being like, Oh shit, guess what was they're saying? Yeah. <laughs> oh shit. So um, I've had to be like, that would be, I guess my piece of advice. Um, what I've learned with parenting, um, what I'd say for dads specifically, this isn't, is like, get like get in there with them like i know like i have lots of um friends who are parents who like they're very much hands-off like mom does a lot of it and like i just think that's a real like you're missing out like so much yourself like get in there change a diaper every now and then well, not every now and then <laughs> we were 50 50 um but uh yeah um i wouldn't change any of that stuff um that is, yeah. That's absolutely fantastic advice, man. Last question. If you were teaching a college 101 class based upon all of your life experience, what would you teach and why? Oh, I've never sat in a 101 class. So um, <laughs> I would teach, what would I teach? I would probably teach, I actually don't know. Um, 101. 
class on probably the, this is what are you be. most passionate about? Is it, is it the importance of doing different yeah. things or, or, or being a generalist? Maybe the important, I think maybe the importance of, of getting out of your comfort zone. That would be what I would, what I'd go after. Like to give you an example, this summer I've decided, like, I always like to like challenge myself in multiple different ways. Um, so like every year I want to learn something physical. I want to do something like mental, like psychological, like kind of not just like, I'm going to do this thing and, and actually like plan it out. So like, I, everyone can sit there and go like, I really want to learn how to ride a motorbike. It's like, cool. You've now said that, like, that's a dream. Let's make it a goal. So like, for me, I really want to learn how to kiteboard. So I've found one of my best friends, told him about the plan. He wants to do it too. We've already found a school. We've already signed up for the school. We have the weekends planned out. I have a wife and two kids. So we have friends that live nearby there and I've already planned with them so that as a family, we're going to drive up. They're going to sit and play on the beach with these other friends while daddy goes out and learns how to kite surf and just like making it work. Um, so that's my, like my advice. I don't know what I teach on is like, how to actually do what you want to do and not just talk or think or dream about it. Wow. That would be a bias for action. 101, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> 101, that, how to actually do what you want to do. I don't know. Awesome, man. Where can people learn more about you and everything you have going on? I have the only social media I have is LinkedIn. So definitely Daniel Ryan at LinkedIn. I have the koala bear emoji in front of my name. Um, and yeah. I try to post on there as often as I can. This has been amazing, Daniel. Thank you so much, man. Dude, thank you. It was a pleasure as always. Love to, love to have round two and you can dive into more of my life and if people want it. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And if you enjoyed the show, it would mean the absolute world if you went to Apple and rated and reviewed the show for me as well, is this is a fantastic way to help grow the show and help to bring in fantastic guests and even more listeners to our tribe. So, Stay tuned for next episode and have a fantastic rest of your day.